episode 48, Actual Medication Management and Reconciliation. Today, I speak with Pat Meisner from Actual Meds. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Here is the problem with the so-called adherence problem. The challenge is far bigger than just, is the patient or isn't the patient taking their meds as directed? Possibly two of the drugs the patient is taking have a terrible interaction. Or maybe the patient is an older adult and the med is on the beers list of drugs that are dangerous for older adults to take. What if the patient is taking an OTC that enhances or diminishes the effect of, of one of the prescribed RX meds? Or what if the patient is not eating enough and is now overdosing on a drug where that's going to matter, like insulin? Today, I speak with Pat Meisner from Actual Meds about the work that Actual Meds is doing to chip away at this gigantic constellation of issues. One of the aspects of Actual Meds that I was most impressed by is their ability to look at the patient holistically and really integrate within the patient's overall care management to make this medication reconciliation information actionable. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Pat. Thank you, Stacey. Glad to be here this morning. So let's talk a little bit about adherence and non-adherence. There's a chart on the internet every other day that shows how expensive non-adherence is to this country, and it's billions and billions. I don't know what the latest stat is. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's an often quoted number, and uh, you're exactly right. That number is $290 billion, and it, the origin of it is a New England Health Information Organization's report that came out several years ago. If you look into what the number means, it's not just people not taking their drugs, but it's the issues that arise from medication problems. So not only the member or the patient's fault, but are there duplications of therapy or are there adverse drug events that result in a patient having to go to the emergency room or, or to be hospitalized? So that number wraps up all of that. Why is this so, obviously, I'm, I'm kind of tossing you a really complicated question here, but why is this so difficult? You know, obviously it's more complicated than simply the patients forgetting to take their medication. But what are some of the complexities that are wrapped up in this? And you're hitting, I think you're hitting on the point. It is a very hard problem because it involves not just the patient, but their entire care. And I think one aspect of it is the complexity of the patients for whom it is a problem in the first place. It's not the same for a teenager who might be diabetic and that's their sole focus and you can really focus in on that. But 80% of that $290 billion problem is attributed to high-risk groups, mostly older adults, people over 65. And those with multiple chronic conditions. 
it's the 80-20 rule. So first of all, when you have older adults, the hallmark of those individuals are that they have multiple chronic conditions. If they have diabetes, they're probably going to have hypertension and possibly heart failure issues. And because of that, they're seeing multiple providers. Uh, so oftentimes one provider doesn't know what the other is prescribing. Or even worse, one provider will say, my therapy takes precedence over others. So that's really what uh, leads to many of the issues. And it's definitely part of the complexity of the problem. So in other words, you've got one provider, you know, for example, the cardiologist who's saying this patient has to take these three cardiovascular medications. Meanwhile, that patient is also going to an endocrinologist or an orthopedic or, you know, whoever, insert specialty here, who is prescribing something else. Those two drugs have drug-drug interactions and no one, neither one of those two individual providers is willing to back off. That that's correct. Even if they even know it in the first place, and oftentimes that's the more fundamental problem. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and once they do, then that's the second level of the problem, which therapy needs to be modified or changed. I also was looking into something last week, which made me realize that it's even more complicated than simply the drugs that the patient is taking. And that, and that was this. We were looking into a case where there was an elderly woman who had been a diabetic for you know years and years who had taken the same dose of her insulin for years and years. Then all of a sudden, her eating habits started to wildly fluctuate from day to day. And she kept going hypoglycemic and winding up in the ER. In other words, her single dose was fine if she was eating like she normally did. But if she wasn't eating like she normally did, then the dose was too much. For years and years, everyone thought she was great at managing her diabetes, but she had stopped years and years ago altering her insulin based on whatever her glucose reading was. She wasn't even taking her glucose. She was just by rote taking the amount of the prescription as habit and in everyone's mind, that constituted great adherence, right? But yet, exactly. yeah. that reminds me of another story, a true story that we heard from a physician who had an elderly aunt who she saw from time to time and who uh, was also diabetic and came to stay with her. And she noticed that she didn't really seem to be looking well and, you know, is everything okay? Are you taking your medicine? Yes, I am. And at one point, the aunt basically lost consciousness and, and the same was rushed to the emergency in uh, hypoglycemic shock. And and then finally, when they looked deeper into the scenario, she was taking her old insulin prescription but had seen a second prescriber who gave her another one under a different name. And so she was adhering very well. She was taking two in duplicate. And that was the reason for the almost catastrophic result. Yeah, it's it's just not an easy question. And the and it really revolves around understanding what the patient is actually doing. I guess that's sort of the derivation of our name as well, actual meds. And I can see why you didn't choose after having this minor sidebar conversation. I can see why you didn't choose a name with adherence in it because we've just discussed two cases where the patient actually was very adherent. And if you ask the 
patient to self-report whether they've been adherent or not, they're both going to say, yes, I've been very adherent. And technically they were, but yet the drug problems still occurred. Exactly. There are complexities beyond that, perhaps not as serious as, as what we just described, but a lot of solutions aimed at improving adherence are just that. They're aimed at getting the patient to take more drugs or to remember to take all of the drugs in their regimen, assuming that that's correct. And it doesn't really consider whether those drugs interact. I mean, there are some systems out there that will catch that, some of the e-prescribing systems, but not all. It doesn't consider whether, whether the patient can afford that regimen. And a lot of adherence problems result because you know it's just too expensive and the patient will cut back on the meds they take or, or they'll split their pills in half. Another reason is all of the drugs together cause side effects. The patient self-medicates to, to mitigate those as well. So there are so many reasons behind why a patient does or does not take their medications. But most approaches today revolve around just trying to, to get them to take what's prescribed. And then there's, there's a whole additional a complication of the over-the-counter world and supplement world where patients can self-medicate with many things now over-the-counter that are just as powerful. They've come off prescription now. We have all the the antihistamines, the claritins of the world, the tagamets for gastrointestinal. All of these were once prescription drugs that have very powerful pharmacologic consequences and patients can self-medicate with those at will. I mean, we're talking now about how broad and how complex this problem of adherence really is. Yeah, it seems like it's the perfect definition of a cluster. Before, I'd, I'd really like to get into how actual meds is starting to chip away at this issue or, or beginning to solve some of this, you know, put order to some of this complexity. Is there anything that you would want to describe as kind of the before situation? Taking this from a patient standpoint a number of times, maybe you could take it from a provider standpoint. What does a provider wrestle with? So you're a provider, you're in this environment. There's all this stuff going on, patients taking OTC, patients seeing all these other providers. How does a provider, you know, meaning a healthcare professional, typically deal with a patient with multiple comorbidities that they know is seeing other doctors and taking other things? What's their standard modus operandi? Again, good question. If you look at the average primary care physician who should be the the nucleus of the patient's care. They should be the one coordinating the care delivered by specialists and so forth. But on average, they spend about, I think the last time I saw data, seven to 10 minutes with a patient during their visit. And there's, just, there's simply not time to coordinate all of the information that would be useful to that provider. With the advent and the implementation of electronic health records, it helps a little bit to have the information in front of you of what's been prescribed for that patient. So in other words, what did the doctor using a particular EHR order and say it's the primary care physician. But again, it's only the prescription medications and it's only what the doctor ordered. And unless that provider or someone on the care team, perhaps it's a nurse, nurse practitioner, is really systematically looking at all of what's been prescribed and then aligning it with what 
else may be going on with the patient. That that takes some time. And it's time really that has to be directed towards, again, this most complex population. It's not something that you're going to do for every single patient that comes through your office, but there there has to be a focus on the higher risk groups that require the complex care. And I would also assume in this particular case that unless that patient provider and all of the providers that that patient is seeing are part of the same integrated delivery network, that the burden of providing that information would fall to the patient who you know, as you just described, maybe elderly may have multiple chronic conditions that they're suffering from and may not even really know or understand what meds they're taking. Yeah, that's correct. And it's so interesting because because of that condition, I think all of us have like an older adult relative or a friend that met those sort of conditions. And how many people have you spoken with that actually keep a spreadsheet of their parents' medications and update it and take it to each doctor or each specialist that they see just to make sure? And that, you know, that is something that most people don't do and the few who do it, I mean, that's one approach, making sure that everybody has that information. But you're exactly right. If you're not part of an integrated delivery network, that's really not going to happen. Okay. So enter actual meds. What exactly is actual meds? We're a cloud-based software solution that enables medication management and reconciliation for care teams. By that, I mean looking at what the patient should be taking versus what they're actually doing and very systematically collecting that information, aligning it, and then presenting it to a member of the care team when they need it. And and that's mostly at the point of care. When a patient is showing up for their visit or they're being seen in their home, wherever point of care is, it could even be over the telephone, making sure that the member of the care team has that right information that they can use to make a therapeutic decision or to do an intervention if, if need be. What does this look like from a provider standpoint? Say I'm a provider and I'm equipped with actual meds. How does this go down? You know, patient wanders in my exam room or maybe it's a home health visit. You know, what does the typical scenario using your using actual meds look like? The first thing I'm going to say is we don't expect the physician or the provider to be the one engaging. We've actually designed the system to be easy to use and intuitive to use for all the members of the care team, beginning with lower levels of licensure. A a medical assistant, a, a medical social worker can use one part of the tool to actually interview the patient and looking at their list of medications and characterize what and how they're taking them. And that would include over-the-counters and supplements. So that's one piece of it. And, and that involves the patient and any member of the care team that could do that piece of it. But the other two things that are really critical is we can take the information that is recorded in the EHR, in other words, what the doctor ordered, and just as importantly, what prescriptions got filled so we can also automatically pull into our solution a patient's prescription history. And we can do that through our interfaces with SureScripts, which is a large e-prescribing clearinghouse. They probably have 70% of all of the prescriptions written, captured, so we can pull that information in. And we're automating a lot of what happens manually now, people calling the pharmacy, uh, 
members of the care team or a doctor calling the pharmacy to see, is the patient really on this drug? Did they pick it up? Did they pick up their discharge meds when they were released from the hospital? So we do a lot to automate and aggregate and validate all of that information and line it up. So the final piece is then querying the patient, did you actually take this. So the physician is not doing that. It's usually in the hands of a case manager, a care manager, could be a nurse, it could be a clinical pharmacist, could be, again, a medical social worker that's capturing the information. And the idea is to give the physician or the prescriber the distilled high-level view of what's going on with the patient. So if they need to change a prescription, there's a recommended action that they can look at and take when needed. Let me just kind of go through these. One of them that you said was the EHR system itself. So in other words, actual meds is pulling information from the provider's EHR system, which probably goes only as far as that particular provider, once again, assuming that they're not part of an integrated delivery network. So to mitigate that, you've got SureScript, which is a really, it's kind of a, a company that is so important, but few people except those in the industry or this part of the industry know much about, but they're a clearinghouse that routes prescriptions to and from pharmacies. Correct. So by tapping into their data set, you can find a lot of, you can type in, you know, making this overly simplified, but you could type in the person's name and then pull a list of all the the scripts that have been running around in in sure scripts that are associated with that individual. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. And it again, it's 12 months of a patient's history and some of that may not be current. So we add a lot of value to that data by organizing it and showing, you know, what is current. And many of just the ratios of how often a patient has filled a particular prescription is a proxy for how much they might have on hand, which is a proxy for an adherence indicator. So those are things that our system captures and can make available to whoever is using it. And that's really important because I think one of the big problems with healthcare is oftentimes that there's not, you know, in some cases there's not enough data, but in other cases there's way too much Absolutely. Well, this is the this is the problem with EHRs at one level. It's it's the problem with even the drug databases. We we have drug drug interaction in our system. We've not reinvented that because there are at least half a dozen best in breed companies who deliver that. But in fact, everything interacts with everything. So if you have someone who's on six to 12 medications, you could easily get a hundred alerts for interactions. And one of the things we do is use evidence-based rules to look at, well, what are the most serious ones? We weight the risks and kind of get rid of the ones that aren't really going to be consequential. And those are added to other risks, such as the one I just mentioned to you, like an adherence index. So Payers today are measured, their performance is measured according to a number of quality metrics that are part of HEDIS, and HEDIS is what providers are also measured by. But but we've also incorporated those quality rules, which could contribute to risk, like showing, well, this patient hasn't picked up their Lasix for two months, their hypertension or their heart medicine, and you know they, they appear to be non-adherent. What's going on with that? 
So we have that level of rules. And then we have how the patient might self-medicate. Not only what else are they adding to the mix. Well, you know, they're taking Tylenol PM every night and are groggy in the morning and at risk of falling down. They're also self-medicating with these supplements. So we're pulling all of that together and looking at the risks across all those different sources of information and distilling that to maybe, you know, here are maybe the top three things you need to address with this patient. So we've got the EHR, we've got SureScripts, and then there's two others that you mentioned. One, I actually have a question about, which is the the pharmacist piece. You had said that one of the things that actual meds does is automate things that had previously been done manually, for example, calling pharmacists. How does that work? Or calling, I actually meant calling a pharmacy. I can remember walking into the ER of a large New York healthcare system and there were physicians on the phone calling Dwayne Reed to say, can you tell me if patient is on this medication. And that really refers back to pulling the information from SureScripts to avoid that call. Or we can pull it from a plans PBM, a pharmacy benefit manager, or sometimes organizations have their own database of claims. It's it's basically claims data, what prescriptions have been filled. So that's what I meant there. But maybe maybe you're asking me something a little different than that. Nope. I think you, that clears up my my question very well. Okay. So now we've got all of this information, which actual meds is collecting and distilling and offering up very choice alerts so that there's not this dreaded alert fatigue, which is certainly an issue. What I'm trying to envision is how, what does this look like? So in other words, you've got the, and as you're, you're talking about getting people to work to the level of their license and obviously right. someone else can be doing this besides the physician and then the physician can look at the information and make the judgment calls and important um, clinical decisions that are necessary. So it's, is this an iPad? It can be delivered on an iPad. It can be browser-based. So whoever is plugged into the system could see this. Or if there is not that level of integration, our system can send in an electronic format back to through a secure email message, or it could send a task. Think of it as a uh, sort of a smart report that goes back to the EHR that a physician could bring up and read. And what it what it looks like at the highest level is a medication reconciliation, meaning you can see in a grid a list of the drugs. You can see this is a drug the doctor ordered, the patient filled this, and it was validated that the patient is taking it as directed. Green check, green check, green check. Next drug, okay, the doctor ordered this, but we don't see a claim for it, red X and what might be going on there. So that's all pre-populated and distilled. So a physician, for example, could see at a glance what's going on. And then beneath that, they would see where there are some risks that might need to be addressed. In other words, the the drug-drug interactions or, or whatnot. Right. Or in particular for seniors, there are, Medicare publishes a list of high risk medications for older adults. They don't process drugs as as you and I might. Uh, as we get older, our physiologies are compromised. So there are different pharmacological 
kinetics for for very common drugs in older adults. And there's a there's 125 of those drugs that are simple, very common things. Like one of the most common diabetes drugs, gliburide, is a high risk med for older adults. But not every nurse or every physician may be aware of that. So you know, they would get an alert that says you may want to consider an al- alternative, and it it shows them the evidence base behind that. Now. I want to be clear, we don't, we don't make the substitution or say substitute metformin for gliburide, but the information is given so that a, someone with the proper scope of license, such as a physician or a nurse practitioner, could make that intervention. Basically, what you're doing is you're pulling evidence-based medicine protocols, in other words, the beer list, or for example, you had said before, there's a number of different gold standard DDI, drug-drug interaction platforms. So you're, you're kind of pulling information from there. For example, in that, that example of the elderly aunt, the doctor's elderly mm-hmm. aunt, that was taking two insulins. I mean, obviously, your system would certainly flag that. That flags as a duplication, right. Or somebody, you know, frequently... People get prescribed name brand and then a substitution is made to a generic. And those look like two different things. And and most of us don't know all the equivalents of a generic for a brand name drug. So it's that kind of information at the fundamental level. But then some of the subtleties we also discussed. Who hires you? Is it primarily an IDN that would hire you? And would, in order for a provider, meaning a healthcare professional, to use your system or even a patient to use your system, would the provider have to have signed on? Okay, so the most direct user or who would contract with us is the entity who manages risk for those complex patients. And for the longest time, it has been the payer or the insurance companies who are wanting to manage outcomes for their patients, but also do it in a cost-effective way. And so they they have a very strong vested interest in, in managing the risk around medications, especially for these complex populations. So they would be the first in line to contract for this and could and can use our system at different levels too. You could use it short of actually engaging the patient in the provider and just using our risk framework to look at the regimens of the patients and are there, you know, non-optimum therapies here. Our system would actually show that. So that gives them a way to even begin to manage or segment their high-risk populations. For integrated delivery networks, obviously there is a provider side to it, and and that would be the ideal scenario where now you can start to share that information between a payer and a provider. The other thing we see today is a lot of provider, large healthcare systems, that is, are now figuring out how they become a part of healthcare transformation and how they participate in ongoing care for patients. So instead of just being responsible for the acute care, which is changing dramatically, how do they stay connected to a patient once they leave the acute care setting? For example, a patient is discharged from the hospital with six new medications from their after their hospitalization for heart failure, for example. They go home and if there isn't a good reconciliation of what they got in the hospital with the six or 12 meds they were already taken. 
that really increases the probability that they might be readmitted into the hospital. It's very important to have that information and to reconcile it and to make sure the patient fills those prescriptions and gets on the right regimen. Otherwise, the healthcare system is going to face a penalty for readmission if that patient comes back to the hospital because of an issue related to their meds for that condition. So now we see that healthcare systems are also interested in, you know, they have a vested interest in after the patient leaves their four walls. And then there's one more interesting twist on this as from the provider side, and this is very recent, as of January, Medicare has created a new reimbursement code to encourage providers to put chronic disease management programs in place. And the reimbursements are significant. They can be up to $42 per month per patient to be plugged into a chronic disease management program. And medication management is considered to be a best practice as part of that. So now providers are starting to pay attention to this too. And that's leading to a lot of care management platforms and care coordination platforms that are focused on this. So that's bringing now providers into the equation as well. You know, Pat, I forgot that your company, that actual meds predates a lot of the value-based payments, you know, the the value-based payment structures that had been put into place. So you got your start. When when did actual meds open? Well, we founded the idea on a concept back in the middle of 2009, where we were introduced to a researcher at UConn, that's Dr. PJ Neefsey, who is one of our co-founders, who had really spent her entire career looking at self-medication behavior in older adults and is really the the mother of this invention, in particular the evidence-based risk roles around, around patient self-medication behavior. And it was very interesting to us. And at that time, you're absolutely right. There was the, you know, I don't think ACO was defined accountable care organization. There was obviously a lot of talk about the transformation of healthcare then, but it was a different world. And we were frequently asked when we when we decided to license and build a solution around this. In fact, we thought, well, this is a patient caregiver solution. It's a patient education tool looking very much like what Dr. Neefsey had built and done her NIH clinical trial on at UConn School of Nursing. So when we started with that, the biggest question we got was, well, what's the reimbursement code for this? And of course, there there was no payment model at that point for a lot of things in telemedicine and monitoring and home care. Everything there was pretty much consumer funded and there were not good payment models for that. So that actually caused us to pivot and look at, well, you know, who does where are the gaps in the market, first of all, in Medicare medication management and who does pay for this? And that led us back to payers and their high-risk populations. And kind of we went from there and and looked at where the gaps are. There's a huge gap, for example, in medication reconciliation. It's very hard to do for all the reasons we just discussed. Most vendors, most Healthcare information suppliers have sidestepped it because it's been so difficult to do. And so that's been a gap in this market. And as we now see 
both global payments, like we talked about the reimbursement code, and the notion of interoperability, sharing information, as we've seen those become more and more important in this idea that you can transform healthcare, that's converged with with how we built our solution and, and how we have always viewed the market. So we were a little before our time in 2009, but I would say in the last two years for sure there's been a dramatic migration towards not only payment reform, but the importance, the huge importance of the interoperability of information. Yeah, I can, I'm connecting the dots very, um, it's not like there's 10 dots, there's like two, between a system like actual meds and something I had been speaking with a, a senior care specialist in upstate New York who, I think medication reconciliation is part of wellness visits. Which, it is. It yeah. is. And he was saying that there was a plan in upstate New York that like 10 percent of their entire population had actually gotten wellness visits. And one of the reasons why is because providers are just so ill-equipped to do them cost effectively. And I'm assuming, you know, now that I'm talking to you, that perhaps one reason for that is this the component, the, the medic, medication reconciliation components of that. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more. It's not quite mandated yet. But for example, if you wanted to put the reimbursement program in place for chronic disease management, that is one of the underpinnings that medication reconciliation should be done and it's considered a best practice. And it's more and more becoming a best practice in many of the government programs. And and in fact, insurance companies recognize it too, but you're exactly right. It's been such a labor-intensive manual process that it's it's not cost effective it for insurance companies forever it was really just a cost of doing business to be a medicare advantage plan for example you you have to do a comprehensive medication review for your you know your riskiest patients and they just bite the bullet and do it as a cost of compliance rather than something that can be made cost effective and even though we know it would have a positive impact on patients outcomes. So that's that's part of the complexity uh, <laughs> that we started out the conversation with. Yeah, and there's another link that just also strikes me based on I was I was working on something that had to do with project red last week and which is basically evidence-based medicine post-discharge. And one of the biggest components of Project RED is also medication reconciliation. You, you are so right. I mean, I, it, it's a very hard thing to do because information has been siloed forever in healthcare. Providers have never really had access to any kind of claims data. And that, and that in fact, is one of the fundamental problems. Providers often don't understand the cost of tests they order and certainly of medications they prescribe. You you prescribe a brand name med for someone and it's literally an order of magnitude more in cost. Now a lot of systems identify those things and and you know the whole notion of preauthorization for a prescription has nipped some of that in the bud, but that that is part of the problem that providers have not really had good access to the cost side of, of the treatment they're delivering. And the converse is, has been true of everyone, the insurance side who's underwriting all the risk. They have not been able to really have direct 
influence or even communication with providers that are delivering the care, yet yet their performance as payers is being monitored by some of those very metrics. Like, are there, are there members on the optimum therapy, for example, for, you know, for diabetes? And they're weighted, their performance is weighted on that, yet there's a disconnect between being able to influence um, the provider for their member. So that's been the challenge forever and ever. Again, part of the complexity. So if uh, someone is part of a risk-bearing entity, such as a payer or a provider, and they're looking for more information about actual meds, where would you direct them, Pat? Our website is a good place to start. It's not always up to the minute updated, but I think that would be a great place to begin to get an overview of the services we offer, some of the, the background on the company, as well as our accomplishments in the world of evidence-based medication management, as well as interoperability. We have been acknowledged in the market for, I think, both of those things, and, and they would be able to find some information about that as well. Fantastic. Well, I thank you so much for being on the program today. You're very welcome. And it was uh, great to have the discussion with you and hopefully be able to show how we take a slightly different approach to the whole notion of medication management and reconciliation as part of adherence. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. It, we would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.